0: Ristino. All right, all right. Hey, how y'all doing? This is Phil restino You are listening to the Post Relevant Podcast. This is episode one. I've previously introduced episode zero into your ear holes. Uh, maybe some of your ear holes have been exposed to episode zero. Um, if you haven't listened to it, maybe check it out. Uh, I definitely try to explain what this podcast is and um, give you some backstory about uh, what the initial agenda of this podcast will be. Um, But essentially, if you've never heard this podcast before, and why would you have? There's only one episode out, and it's episode zero, which immediately it's confusing, I agree. But uh, that's how I wanted it. Uh, The Post Relevant Podcast is a podcast uh, created by yours truly, Phil Restino. I am an... Actor, artist and musician living in the New York State area, <laughs> New York City area, honestly, um, and uh, I've just been a huge fan of podcasting oh, for well over a decade and have always wanted to dip my toe into the forum, the format, into the format, dip my toe into the format are the words I wanted to use out loud with my speaking voice and now I've done it um, and now I've done it I'm dipping my toe in With this brand new podcast, the Post Relevant Podcast. Now, the Post Relevant movement was a joke movement that I came up with with a friend of mine, Yehuda, um, well over 20 years ago. I would guess 25 or so years ago. Um, While in Prague, with a theater company in Prague, we were doing uh, crazy avant-garde theater all over the streets of Prague. Uh, I had just finished college about a year before that, and uh, one day uh, Yehuda and I were in some kind of bar, screwing around with a pad of paper, and we started writing out a an artistic movement that uh, I think I came up with a name, but I don't remember. The post-relevant movement. Um, it was sort of like a joke, post-something movement. You know, since there's like the post-modernists and the post-this, post-that um, uh, for the second half of the twentieth century. Um, I personally have been a big fan of like the Dottis and the Surrealists and the, um, those kind of movements in the early half of the 20th century. But uh, everything since then has been post this and post that. And so we came up with post relevant, which is what it sounds like. Um, it's essentially meaningless, <laughs> a meaningless movement. Uh, I think I dubbed it the a movement for the end of the end of time. And uh, nowadays, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, you kind of look at world events and um, all the bizarre shit going on, and sometimes it does seem like it's we're in the end times. Um, I'm not promoting that idea, per se, although I'm not against it either. Uh, I'm not sure I really want to be living through the end times, per se, Or what that means, the end times. I mean, it could be the end of a period of time in the beginning of a new period of time. And so, um, but if we are there, we're pretty close to the end of the end times, hopefully. Because they suck. I want to have some fun. (laughs) Screw this. (laughs) Um, So uh, the post-relevant movement, which had been dubbed... A movement for the end of the end of time. Uh, there's no better time than the present to bring back this movement. Um, it seems awfully appropriate, somehow. Or it doesn't, and I'm just uh, just talking smack, which is fine too. You know, hey, it's fun to talk, right? Sounds are made with mouth movements and vibrations in the vocal cords, and they emerge up out of the throat. And the face cavity, that's the medical term, face cavity, and out into the ether and are picked up by the diaphragm of this microphone and eventually transmitted electronically across the ether to your computer or phone or some listening device I've never heard of before, and then slide down into your ear holes and uh, crawl across the rivulets and Folds of the synapses and brains of anyone who may care to listen to it. And that, what could be more post-relevant than that? The delivery system. Thoughts to words to electronics to thoughts. To ears to thoughts. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, that's what this is. (laughs) Do you got it now? is it clear um in post relevant parlance you could say that it will have had had been clear will have had had been will have had had being will have had had will being will have had 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 having being clearer than previously anyway That's what we're doing, Um, we're talking ideas, we're having a little fun Uh, as they said in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, we're learning about Cuba and having some food and what could be uh, wrong with a little feast on our time, Hmm? Mr. Hand? Hey Mr. Hand, can you believe that that guy turned into uh, one of our most serious actors? (laughs) One of Hollywood's most serious actors. Sean Penn. Anyway, this is not about Sean Penn, nor will it probably ever be. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe he'll have have been a part of a piece of art that I want to talk about at some point. Maybe. I always thought it was cool that he rode a boat into uh, New Orleans. Yep, that's it. When the floods happened, he was paddling around on a boat trying to help people, which is a good thing. Or was that Brad Pitt? Maybe that was Brad Pitt. I can't remember. Anyway. Neither here nor there. Anyway, uh, this is the Post-Relevant Podcast, and um, it's an opportunity to talk about film and art and music and philosophy and space aliens and conspiracies and the hidden symbolism in our world and future and the past things lost to the past things that may become apparent in the future that are all collapsing together into this one now moment and informing us all and are spiking and bouncing around my little brain this is my chance to talk about these things that I've been interested in Um, and um, so what's gonna happen today on the podcast a couple things I'm gonna tell you a rambling story about how I went to Prague and, uh, what happened there. And then, um, how we invented the post relevant movement. And then I'm going to read you the post relevant manifesto. I'm going to read it to you so you can see what has, uh, inspired the silly name of this podcast. And then, uh, I'm going to play you a song that was, uh, co-written with my good friends, John Wright and Steve Donnelly. Um, probably almost 25 years ago in San Francisco, uh, we wrote a song about my adventures in Prague and uh, uh, just coincidentally as I was putting this episode together, my buddy Steve uh, EQ'd an old uh, demo of the song and sent it to me and um, I played it for another friend, uh, Lorelle and she really loved it actually. So I was not expecting that, and then I figured, well, I'm already talking about Prague and the Post-Relevant Manifesto, so uh, why not play a song that is about our adventures in Prague? So that'll be coming after the Post-Relevant Manifesto, the song by the band, which I think maybe we were being called The Globs at that point, and uh, the song is called Prague. Uh, It's a demo, so uh, it's sort of long and rambly, like I tend to be, Um, But, uh, you know, inspired in interesting ways. Uh, So maybe that'll be fun for you. And then after that, we're going to come back and we're going to begin our epic multi-part conversation about the movie Under the Silver Lake. This is a movie by writer and director David Robert Mitchell. And this filmmaker has created an an incredible film that came out a couple years ago, 2018, as far as I'm concerned, called Under the Silver Lake. And it's about this guy, this nameless... Main character who becomes obsessed with a blonde woman with a dog and she disappears and he journeys like a hipster private investigator headlong into a conspiracy all over the town of Los Angeles and specifically Silver Lake, the Silver Lake area, um, trying to uncover where this girl has gone, this woman, this angelic blonde with the dog has disappeared too. And it leads him to um, uncover quite a mystery indeed. But the cool thing about this movie is that the movie itself is heavily laden with esoteric, alchemical, mythological symbolism, as well as actual uh, codes, code words that are hidden... uh, inside of the uh, film to be decoded too. Now most people have latched on to the codes, the letter number codes that uh, give you some clues, but I find to be in some ways sort of distracting from the actual meaning of the film. Um, They're fun and uh, I've never been quite as good at that kind of stuff, decoding uh, like number codes, letter codes, stuff like that. It doesn't interest me as much, but what I did notice is that there are all these mythological, alchemical, esoteric symbols, costumes, acts, all over the film, all over it, all over it. Every square inch of this movie is coded and symbolized. Um, It's a feat like I've never seen done before in a film. This movie is begging to be decoded properly, in my opinion. Um, And now, anyone who has been already trying to decode this movie, I hope that you'll give this podcast a chance and really listen to this conversation that I have with my brother Andy, Andy Rustino, the artist. I hope you'll give my decoding a chance because uh, while I may be falling short in some of the letter number copiali ciphers, that kind of stuff, um, what I can bring to this conversation is an esoteric understanding of the symbolism that is rife throughout the entirety of the film. And uh, I don't think that you can really understand what this movie is doing and what it's about unless you are willing to decode it in the manner that I've been doing. Now, when I watched this movie, maybe after the third time of watching it or something, I started to realize that there was a specific kind of symbolism going on in the film that I hadn't recognized before. Um, but I imagine that maybe some of it was already working on me, which was causing me to sort of slightly obsess over the film and want to understand it better. Um, it's a really fun movie to watch, too. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's special, a special film. And, um, so even if you don't get what all the secrets are hidden inside of it, it's still a really fun narrative to watch and a uh, mystery. To uh, become caught up in, and I really recommend it just as a pure piece of cinema. It's it's dope. Um, but uh, what I realized eventually, just from starting to um, talk about the film with Andy and trying to uncover the symbolism bit by bit, was that a there was way more symbolic imagery in the film than I had previously thought. Um, that the film was. Every minute of it seems to be coded, strangely enough. But um, not only that, but um, that for some reason I was able to decode it, which is not something I've, uh, you know, I I will try to decode certain things and I've been looking into symbolism, that kind of thing for a while. But um, I don't think I've ever tried to do what I'm trying to do with this movie, which is really break it down bit by bit, minute by minute and talk about and ruminate over and solve, hopefully, potentially, the mysteries that are, uh, being placed in front of my eye holes, ear holes, uh, et cetera, uh, brain hole. With the, uh, understanding, as far as I can tell, that this filmmaker has purposefully done this and created a film that is, uh, is formatted as a mystery because I think he wants the viewer to understand the mystery and look deeper into it and solve it, I think he wants us to solve it. I don't see why you'd make a movie like this if you didn't, honestly. But, uh, so that's my thesis. Um, strangely, strangely, I am strangely appropriate to solving this movie. I don't know why. I've been trying to figure out a reason to start a podcast actually for a while, but, um, You know, a lot of podcasts, because anyone can do it, that a lot of people choose to just sort of talk about their lives and or just, you know, even sort of what I'll be doing, uh, you know, talk about a movie they saw, whatever, Um, a band they like, etc. And um, I didn't want it to just I didn't want to create something that's just doing that. I don't always think my life is all that interesting. Sometimes it is. I wanted to create something that would, uh, warrant deeper investigation, subject matter that was not easily comprehended or solved and introduce something of value to our digital online community, uh, you know, which is really just a way of saying the world at this point, I guess I wanted to introduce something of value to the world that hadn't been introduced yet. And as far as I can tell, when I look into you know the reddit about this movie and uh, articles written about it and people podcasting about it i don't think anyone has stumbled upon what i think i've stumbled upon what andy and i are stumbling upon so it seemed like the perfect excuse to start creating a podcast and have something new to talk about and introduced into the airwaves the ether as they say the fifth element the ether Fire, earth, water, air, and the fifth element, ether. Ether. The miasma of energy that is conscious and programs reality. The blueprint for reality. The ether. Welcome to it. You're in it. You're in it right now. You're swimming in it. You're swimming in it right now. Aquarius takes his cistern and dumps the water out. The water is the ether. If you look at water, this is what energy looks like. Stare at water. You'll be staring at a physicalization of something that is invisible to us right now. Energy. The web of energy that permeates every square inch of the universe. The blueprint for reality. The ether. Welcome to it. And welcome to the Post Relevant Podcast. We're going to dig into Under the Silver Lake a little bit later on, but first, first here's a really rambly story about my adventures in Prague with a theater company, C and Hammermill, and a bunch of good friends and some crazy adventures and events that led up to the invention of the Post Relevant Movement. Here it is. Be prepared for the ramble of a lifetime. Ooh, so sweet. Hope you enjoy it. See you on the other side. Hear ye, hear ye. Oh yay, oh yay. Thank ye, one and all, you are cordially invited to hear. The Original Post-Relevant Manifesto! This was written in 1994, I believe, in Prague, the Czech Republic, with my old friend and uh, Skidmore fellow Skidmore alum, Yehuda Duenas. I don't know if we were on <laughs> what we were on when we wrote this. Uh, it could have been the evening when we were all at that one bar drinking pot tea. I don't think it was. But, uh, I could swear this was written in a bar somewhere. Hugh and I were sort of making fun of what we were doing at the time. We were in an uh, experimental theater company called Sea and Hammer Mill, comprised of a bunch of folks that we went to college with. Maybe one person who was a townie in uh, Saratoga Springs and joined the group. And we were all kind of insane, and we, uh, we started a, uh, an experimental theater company downtown in Saratoga, uh, which culminated in us all going to Prague. It all started like deep in the winter of 1993 or so, 1994. And uh, we made a bunch of uh, crazy pieces at the theater and uh, we went to New York City and we did some happenings in front of the Metro- uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, eventually it culminated with us uh, all flying to Prague, because in 94 this is, you know, pretty early on and when Prague had opened up to the, the west and, you know, it, it is bohemia. So it seemed like a great opportunity for a bunch of crazy folks, to youngsters to go there and make some bohemian art. Um, and we were, we were making theater pieces in the style of like the Dadaists, and the Surrealists, and the Futurists, and the Expressionists, what have you, all those early ISP, European movements, sort of movement-based stuff, but it was all like sort of nonsense, poetic dialogue, and I think we're being influenced by uh, the City Company a little bit, Anne Bogart, and the City Company had started coming to Skidmore. And teaching um, and uh, the director was really influenced by Robert Wilson and we were also really influenced by Reza Abdo, who was this amazing Los Angeles director who was making, in my opinion, some of the best experimental theater I've ever seen. In so we went to Prague, we did a 12 uh, day long play all over the streets of Prague. and split off into small groups and uh, run around doing small plays, short plays between the groups. I was paired with uh, my buddy Ian. I was dressed as Kaiser Wilhelm. I had a big mustache and a spiked helmet and a sword. And Ian was Odysseus and he had he'd paint his head yellow and run around in a frilly, frilly shirt and jacket and monocles. We would make trouble <laughs> all over the streets. One day Ian got us into the Italian embassy. Um, I don't really know how he did it. I think he just talked to somebody. We ended up eating in their cafeteria in costume, which is pretty funny. Uh, The Italian embassy in Prague. So we'd go all over the the city in small groups, pairs, trios, I don't know. Um, There was probably at least 12 performers, something like that. Maybe uh, 10 to 12 performers and other people doing other stuff along with us. Um, And then we'd meet up during the day and we'd do a full play that we had... Prepared. We had, like, a sort of a, kind of like a, a group of plays of experimental, like, old-style old expressionist or what-have-you plays that we would do. Uh, so we'd meet up during the day, and we'd go out in the morning all dressed up. I would go out with a sword on into the streets. <laughs> Sometimes we'd meet up with other people who were in other groups and, you know, improvise these weird theatrical moments in the streets. And, you know, Prague this beautiful, picturesque... Fantasyland, so, and we were sort of doing this kind of throwback work, so it looked amazing. It really looked cool, the photographs I have, really beautiful, of uh, the black and white photographs I have. the So we'd go out in the morning, and we'd run around and do theater, and then we'd all meet up as a big group and do an entire play in the afternoon, in, in lunchtime ish time. We'd set a time to all meet in a certain area, different part of town every day and then we'd split up and perform more (laughs) in the afternoon and then we'd meet in the evening and we'd do a whole nother performance. One time we did a performance um, under a bridge, under the Charles Bridge. Uh, One time we did a performance in front of these amazing gardens where there's a real peacock that lives there. We'd do it uh, we did it on the outside of the gardens in front of a big wall and uh, the trains would go by and so we'd be doing the performance and then the audience would be set up on the other side of the street and the trains would go by and as the trains would go by we would change our entire tableau so when the train had left it was as if the curtain would open and close and we'd be doing another different tableau in another different situation. Uh, one time we did it in front of St. Peter's Cathedral. One time we did it in front of another castle where I almost jumped onto a long dive. That was stupid. We did one performance in front of the giant clock uh, in Old Town Square. I don't even know how I'm remembering these names. Places. One of uh, the craziest performances we probably did is we did a movement across the Charles Bridge at night. And um, what we didn't know was that there would be tons of people there getting drunk. Like, tons. Like, everyone would be there, everyone in the city would hang out there and get wasted. And so, we tried to do this whole thing where we moved a performance where we crossed the bridge, all dressed in costumes um, It went really badly. <laughs> And, uh, you know, many of us got, became, like, surrounded by people, drunk people, who would fuck with us. And, and that was pretty scary. Um, I remember seeing someone from the group kicking someone in the ass, <laughs> trying to get rid of them. One time while I was walking down the street, I was approached by an older gentleman with a mustache, also wearing a sword. I was by myself that day. This guy started talking to me in German. You know, I was just sort of standing there shrugging, not knowing what to do. And I'm wearing a sword, and he's wearing a sword, and he pulled the sword Because if he wanted to duel, and I was like, hey, hey, man, I'm an American. <laughs> As if that would help. But uh, he eventually took me to like a photo gallery and showed me photographs. Apparently, he had been some German film actor. I remember the guy. It was weird. Every day was like that. Every fucking day was completely zany. Um, we'd be drinking Absinthe. I remember one guy that had joined the company. Uh, who was in, he was in another favorite company in, from New York City and he knew somebody that we knew. He ended up joining our group. He was a really uh, crazy cat. Uh, John. John Ogilvie. And uh, one night after drinking Absinthe <laughs> Um, (laughs) he woke up, we started doing performances in this club, or there was a club that eventually we started doing performances in, the rock scene. And, um, there were a bunch of stages that were sort of there in the club. And, you know, the the club would get turned into like a dance party. So anyway, apparently John drank too much Absinthe that day, or that evening, and woke up underneath some of the stages the next morning in the club. And didn't know where he was, he couldn't see anything. He was trapped under these stages. He, he got out eventually. One day, me and a couple of people from the group were hanging out with this guy. He was friends with a friend of a, one of the guys from the group. This guy was kind of crazy. I think his name was Claude. And he told us this story about how he what, was trying to find mushrooms in Ireland or something. And, he ended up sleeping next to sheep on a sheep's wall, and the story was that if you slept near the sheep's wall, you would wake up either a poet or a madman, and I think he woke up a madman. Because eventually, as he was telling us the story and giving us tea, uh, eventually we realized that he had dosed us with mushrooms. <laughs> uh, that was the same guy who I remember seeing throw a glass beer stein down the street. Oh boy, beer was really cheap and very good in Prague uh, back in the early 90s, so there was a lot of beer drinking, that's for sure. It was an amazing time. It was a really brutal time for me. It was very heartbroken and insane. Um, and it was pretty much the year responsible for the rest of my life, I would say, because after that I started on my, my spiritual quest. Much to my own chagrin, it is what it is. Oh yeah, I did have one evening, uh, one day near the end of our two months living in Prague, where, uh, you know, the whole group had bought this LSD from somebody mm-hmm. the first night that we were in town. And it had a picture of Albert Hoffman, um, the guy who invented LSD, on a bicycle. And it was 50th anniversary Albert Hoffman LSD. <laughs> I like, guess in 1994, it was the 50th anniversary of the discovery of Los Anyway, a bunch of the people in the group took it the first night that we were in Prague, and I was like, no way am I taking this shit. But I saved it. And then I didn't take it until the last week, I think, that we were there, which was like three months later. And I went out with uh, some people that we had gotten to know, two Czech guys, one guy... Australian and another guy was German. did very well, and they found acid. They went and bought it, and I had my acid. We took it on a German holiday, and I didn't realize how powerful this shit was. But it was really, really strong. And we got on a bus, and the bus was taking us out of town. They were taking us somewhere. I didn't know where they were taking us. I had no idea. But I started tripping on the bus, and I remember there was a cop on the bus, and he was opening a bottle of champagne. This is really cool. Uh Because it was a holiday, and it felt like the bus just kept on descending down, down, down in a spiral. Saying no, we ended up um, just getting out in some random area, and there was a statue of a person reading a book. And I remember jumping on the statue, off onto it, and trying to read the book, but there was no writing in the book. And then I remember an entire building moving. This whole building was moving. Um, Sort of spinning or something. It was really weird. but I've never seen a building move before in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started walking across the countryside, like farmlands, and I was doing full front handsprings, which I normally couldn't do, but I was on LSD, really powerful LSD. I was doing full front handsprings. And I remember the sky was really moving around quite a bit too. And then we went to this Town, and the towns in, around Prague had these water basins that would be at the bottom of it, like in the middle of the town. I guess that's where people would get water. I don't really know how that worked, but I remember looking into the basin of the water, and the water was talking. I remember it seemed like it I remember talking about my grandfather who was dying. He was sick, or he had just died. I can't remember. It was something... Eventually that evening ended with us at the end of an airport runway <laughs> in the morning. The sun came up and the, I don't know how, but we ended at the, we ended up at the end of a runway on an airport, a real airport runway, and <laughs> the airport was closed as well. I remember thinking, I'm not gonna die here. I'm not gonna die here. You know, cause sometimes when you're on acid, then, oof, amount of anxiety that you feel is so powerful. And that was really, maybe, the strongest LSD I've ever taken in my life. probably was. It was pretty potent. Anyway, I remember that feeling, I'm not gonna die here. It had been a really, really intense year for me. Anyway, one night, before the acid, I was in some bar with Yehuda and some of our other friends, I guess, and we were fucking around, and we came up with the Post Relevant Movement, and this was a movement for the end of the end of time. Um, I don't remember why, where the hell it, the idea came from, but um, I'm pretty sure I came up with the name The Post Relevant Movement. And so Yehuda and I wrote down the manifesto, and I think we were just, you know, fucking around writing and passing this pad of paper back and forth between the two of us to write this manifesto. And look, I'll admit it, I think we're kind of making fun of the director a little bit and what his uh, aesthetics were, or sort of his rhetoric was around the art he liked to make. I think he read it and he he knew we were making fun of him too, but I denied it at the time. (laughs) At any rate, I've dug it out, the post-relevant manifesto. This is it. I'm holding it in my hands. It's an old piece of paper all wrinkled and bent and it's got coffee stains all over it. Real cool looking, man. I will post a picture of it at some point. But uh, this is where it all began, or where it all ended, I guess, if you're gonna be post-relevant about it. This is where it all ended. So here we go, gird your loins. Here it is, the post-relevant manifesto. Mm -hmm. without saying that all things both big and small have or have not happened within our certain frame of time, frame and or time symbolizing the relevant era of our collective lives and all time preceding that. Then we may also imply that the common civil protesting and all or most other civil unrest is due to the provincial one-track frame of mind frame, or mind, symbolizing the lack of structure supporting our most favored sutures holding in our, quote, instant generation, unquote. We will not be victims. We will not be angry victims any longer. Anger, or victim, symbolizing the adamant internal dialogue intended to be deciphered by the recipient of the anger or the victimization, but only if the deciphering is procedure instigated in a past or post-relevant situation. Diatribe is lateral to the narcissism of potential internal dialoguers, but only if the dialoguers are sentient to the diatribe after it has been initiated. Therefore, initial monologuers are confronted in a narcissistic fashion by the initiator, or second party, and then, and only then, made aware of the diatribe they occupy spacing of, around, and so forth. They, the last party, must be sworn to secrecy, swearing allegiance forever and ever to the second party, and pledging not to reveal their knowledge of the dialogue to the second party until the second party has confronted them with that knowledge. Post-relevantism is not a movement, but rather a series of movements. Diatribe, usurping, narcissistic monologue in a Sisyphean manner. All lanes cleared of debris. Post-relevantism will have mattered. Post-relevantism has had mattered. Unfortunately, in this day and age, matter or no matter is, in fact, irrelevant. For to say, matter, or no matter, is irrelevant. Irrelevant because it makes no difference the matter involved. Post-relevancy revels in things that mattered. Whether they still do, do, have, will, or may is once again irrelevant. Irrelevant. Irrelevancy is no concern of ours, either is irrelevancy. Post-relevancy is relevant. If it weren't, the more appropriate post-irrelevancy would be the topic of manifestation. It is not. But even if it were, the word or phrase post-irrelevancy is a contradiction in terms, an oxymoron, if you will. It either is or it is not. Post-irrelevant is to say irrelevantly irrelevant. Post-irrelevant is to say irrelevantly irrelevant, which is, in actuality, a double negative, meaning relevant. Hence, post-relevant. Somber adherence to post-relevant themes, diatribes, frames, oxymorons, sophomore requests or procedures, whether irrelevant or not irrelevant, i.e. relevant, relevant, must be enforced in order to maintain a constructive level of relevance relevance in a post-i.e. past-relevant situation. We hold hold these truths to to be 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 post-relevant. Realization of this manifesto has, has happened, but as stated before, It doesn't doesn't matter matter if it it has has happened happened or not not has happened, happened because it is happening. As it it has happened now, now, and now, and now, now, due to the premise of nothing less significant significant than than time, time, which which, again, again, as stated before, is based on the solo theme of implication, as well as the obvious implementation of themes, the unfolding of relevancy is an arduous process which happens in time, true to time form. And that's where it stops. (laughs) Um, God damn if I know what the hell that all means. But it was fun writing it, and I've saved it all this time. And for some stupid reason, it's still a thing in my life, and now you guys are hearing it, whoever's listening to this. So hear ye, hear ye o, ye, o ye, O ye! Thus closeth the revelation of the manifesto post-relevant. The post-relevant manifesto has had happened, and will have had had happened, yet again and never again. Be ye warned. Oh, my God, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Around. Tell
1: the story about a theater group Nancy and seen hammer mill We made the overseas commute to friendly Prague To perform for a while without impression of the U.S.A. lifestyle But when we encountered it was a whole new oppression Trying to attend me and taught me fast life lessons So if you're the Lord, and on a the actual food hold on All about what we found in Prague Town Oh, no shit! Watch the gorgeous step back when you go to Krak-a! <laughs> Kuwait's airplane taxis, YouTubers, the left is comic books Push up on your Kafka, metamorphosized it to a for abstinence and the regal acts the rest likes you've
0: That was Prague by the band The Globs, a crazy-ass song I co-wrote 25 years ago and am now finally sharing with the world. Hopefully that was some form of delightful for you. Okay, up next is the continuation of The Conversation Begun in episode zero between myself and my brother, artist Andy Rostino about the movie Under the Silver Lake, Um, Episode 0, we kind of talk about uh, what we think we're going to find in the movie. And now, here in Episode 1, we actually begin in earnest dissecting and decoding the incredible film under the Silver Lake. This movie is quite a handful to dive into and understand. Um, At first, I thought this conversation was going to be fairly short, but uh, as I record this, we're at least 8 episodes deep into decoding the movie Um, so I'm hoping that this is at the very least informative if not incredibly interesting and uh, uh, devastatingly captivating for you the listener so here we go, me, Andy under the silver lake dig it now okay here we are No time has passed. Absolutely no time has passed since the last conversation that you heard between Phil and Andy. Definitely Um, the sound probably hasn't changed at all. No, not even a bit. Uh, If you're wondering, this is Phil. And this is Andy. Our voices are very similar, so this might be another level of weird. Yes. uh, As you listen to this insane podcast that we're about to do. Ah, uh, this is the post-relevant movement. This is what I'm calling the podcast. Nice. Ah, uh, yep. It's an old, an the old callback. An old, yes, it's a callback exactly from an old, <laughs> an old thing. Um, and I'm hoping that everything sounds good. I am uh, an early. This is early days as podcasting for me, so I'm hoping mm-hmm. that uh, stuff sounds great. But uh, I guess we'll see. As really? we all know, uh, yeah. first episodes usually sound the best, and then <laughs> right. the sound usually degrades right. over time. That's right. Um, so uh, I'm Phil Rostino. I'm Andy Restino. Uh In case you didn't know, we're brothers. Uh, we are both in uh, some form of showbiz. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an actor and a visual artist and a singer, music maker guy and Andy. I am a cartoonist, and I work in animation for the most part. Yep. I like doing comics also. Right, and you do comics, and um, we're going to be talking about Under the Silver Lake, as you probably already know, if you've been already listening to the pre-Under the Silver Lake conversation that we were having uh, probably a couple weeks ago now. I don't remember Mm -hmm. when we did that. Yeah, that was a while ago. But um so uh this is an incredible movie. Um I uh is is it uh can do you remember his name, the filmmaker's name? Oh geez, we should know this, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. I have it written uh, down. He's got three names. He's yes, like a, it's like a like David that, or something. Yeah. I've written it down. Oh, you know what? You know what's really interesting is there's a code at the end of the movie. That actually you can decode and it says his, his name. credits. Yeah. So maybe we should just give the code out. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's you're making it hard already. Yeah, that's that's my part of the my my job. Uh, David Robert Mitchell. Thank you so much. Maybe this is the guy that's gonna do the internet thing. Yeah, I can I can handle the internet thing. That'd be sweet. He uh directed uh it follows And at least one more thing, I think. He has some earlier movie about a sleepover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'm dumb, a bad internet guy. Mm. Yeah. The myth of the American sleepover. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure where he's from. I don't think he's an L.A. guy. He's from Michigan. Okay. And And uh, he's he's a a year older than me. A year old. So he's like born in 73. Three 74. 74 okay so three to four years younger than me a year older than you yeah and we were just talking about this how we yeah we triangulated yeah we we're trying to figure out where where his you know where he might be coming from because i'm personally completely blown away by this movie i've watched mm-hmm. it at, at least six times at this point you were saying you watched it seven I mean, I don't know, six or seven. Six or seven. I'd say we're probably even by this point. Yeah. And every time I watch it, I'm more astonished at the filmmaking of it because uh it's a very mature film, even though it might it it it's funny because it comes off in some ways as a very shallow about right. very shallow people. But um I'm but it's astonishingly deep, I find. Yeah. Um the more I dig into it and I'm absolutely convinced that everything is meaningful in this movie. That this is very purposefully made film, um, very strategically written and assembled, uh, right down to the sound design. And um, oh yeah, there's lots of cool sound design yeah, stuff we can yeah, get into. A lot of interesting shit. And so this cat is really swinging for the fences for this movie. Yeah. Um. It's kind of a bummer that it didn't get. Um more uh publicity or attention on it because yeah i'm hope I uh, you know obviously there's already uh like a, a real internet interest in this film and there's already a reddit where they've been trying to decode all the codes and decipher the film um but uh i think it deserves more than you know some sort of niche cult status like andy and i are both big fans of uh of uh, Le- of the Big Lebowski. Right. Which is kind of like this sort of feels like the just like the next step, the next 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 generation of <laughs> yeah. the Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. But sure. as you dig into the film, it's a different it in some ways it's I mean it, it it's definitely following like the old-fashioned um noir. uh noir detective thing. Yeah. Um but he takes it even further. Like the Big Lebowski, he's kind of up to no, like he's not, he doesn't have a job. Like he's just a hippie he, guy. And he's an incompetent, completely incompetent detective. Yes. It's, it's funnier in a more direct way. Yeah. It's like a deconstruction of the, of yeah. our tropes. And this is kind of like, I don't know. It's like taking it, it's like turning it inside out in a way. Well, I mean, he's taken the, just the Lebowski aspect of it, to another level because uh, you're given very, very little of this character's real backstory. Right. Who he is, where he's from, what he used to do, anything about his history, it's just barely there. Right. And um, and if it is, if you are given any information, you have to kind of piece it together. Yeah, and uh, which but... I've attempted to and, for the most part, there is very little backstory for him. Yeah. Um, I think when he gets the package from his mom later on in the movie, uh-huh. I think it might be from... I I, I got it somewhere in the, my notes, but it yeah. might be... She might be sending the package from Michigan. It's definitely out of LA. It's not in California, wherever she's mailed this right. videotape to him from. So the character could be from Michigan. I can't remember, but he's definitely... Like it definitely stood out to me, like, oh, this guy's not an LA native by any stretch. Right. Um, but he's obsessed with Hollywood culture. He is, and, and that kind of okay. So I have a bunch of theories about this film, but I think what's really what we're really watching is a night's quest. Uh
1: huh.
0: Um, and I could give a couple reasons why. Sure. Let's um, hear them. I mean, that sounds completely accurate. We're going, and I'm going a little out of order. Cause I'm going to, I've taken uh all right. So. <laughs> yeah, taken, you should tell them about the notes and you've same taken. Same number of notes. Uh, I've taken 45 pages of notes while watching this film. Um, probably more actually, I would bet at this point, but yeah. uh, initially I really was like sifting through it like minute by minute and trying to really cop all the dialogue and all the visual cues and all the symbolism that's happening and, you know, notate when the, when the codes are showing up and all that stuff. Um, So I've taken an insane amount of notes and I really want to go. If someone likes a deep dive, this is really going to be a deep dive. Um, And I'm also assuming we're probably going to do this in a couple parts because I can imagine that you're going to get tired of this after a little while. Oh yeah. I don't think I can do like a four hours of this in a row. No, no, I don't I don't think so either <laughs> and there's a definitely a danger that that's going to happen. Yes. 4 hours. Um so but I really but watching this film uh I really think this film warrants this much investigation because not only is it a incredible puzzle that he wants you to solve but um I really do think that there there it's not there for no good like it's not a puzzle leading you to nothing. Like I feel like this guy really does want you to solve this mystery and he's using the character and the, as, as the quote unquote detective, but he's, he has no discernible motives or, I mean he has some motives, but he has no discernible like occupation or point of existence. Like there's no, what the hell is he doing there? Um and so, but I'll give you a couple reasons why I think this is a knight's quest. Okay. Um, and the first reason that I think it is, is because of the number twenty-three that appears on his door. On his door, um very early on in the film. Uh his door is number twenty three, which is like the classic magical number. Right. Is um, that is that a modern magic number, or does that go no, way back? I don't, Think I think it goes back. Okay. I think the things with magic and stuff like that go back. Is the right the whole deal with magic is that it's old, but specifically with that, I looked up the Scottish Rite, the twenty-third degree of the Scottish Rite. Okay. uh, Which is which is masonry, Scottish Rite masonry. There's a couple different kinds of masonry, but Scottish Rite is like the weirder, more dubious version of that. And um, the twenty-third degree of Scottish Rite is the Knight of Valor. And this degree teaches that impure thoughts and selfish, unworthy ambitions are corrupting and destructive, and that a man who forgets his duty to family, country, and God will be morally and spiritually destroyed. Mm. That, that seems completely appropriate for the. Yeah, movie. it really does because yeah. you see that this guy is lost in this current corrupt world, and right, and it's a te- he's going through this test you know, to, to find his soul. I mean, I think really what he's in some ways in a simple simplification, he's kind of searching for his own soul. Right. Um, And the number 23 connotes the ideas of personal freedom, curiosity, diplomacy, companionship, creative self-expression and adventure. Nice. Yep. And it adds up to five, which is the number of the earth. And it is, uh, there are five elements, air, fire, water, um, earth, and spirit is the fifth element. Mm -hmm. As we know from, as Bruce Willis taught us all those years ago. Right. (laughs) Um, So it's immediately a magical number that they're putting up in front of us, like within the first five minutes of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where he lives. So that's my first reason why I think he's on a knight's quest. The other reason that I think he's on a knight's quest is because... Uh, a couple different occasions. There's one moment where he's in the comic book artist's room,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you see the uh, Legend of Zelda act action figures on right. the guy's bureau. And then when he's looking at the maps at this pivotal moment in the film, right? That's all Zelda stuff. Yeah, and it's all Zelda stuff, and that guy is a knight. Right and you know he's dealing with this king of the the homeless king is that what his name is yeah so i think that i think that the that there is communication going on between him and the homeless king throughout the movie um i think homeless people are keeping tabs on him right there I, think- I that's something i didn't keep track of that but that's yeah. definitely something i noticed the last time i watched it is that there are homeless people like something will ha- like when his car gets towed, a homeless person walks yep. by right afterwards. There's parts yep. where homeless people are sitting, yeah, just in the background during important moments. Yep, and, and his uh, opinion of homeless people and the, right. the the uh the manager of the of his apartment building calls him a homeless person. Right, right. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe the homeless king is keeping tabs on him. But how is he communicating with the homeless king? Other than well, no, they're keeping tabs on him. Right. So it's sort of like a test to see if he can... It's a knight's quest. Right. And he's being led by all these signs and symbols to these incredible answers that... So he has to pass through all these different right. gauntlets. And, and it like, probably... I'm You know, I'm not that familiar with The Legend of Zelda. I haven't really played it. Mm-hmm. But this film is definitely set up like a video game, right? Yes. I mean, there's... They're... Yep. There are music cues like, yep. you know, most of the music is like uh, it's either pop songs or it's I don't know if it's taken from old noir movies or it's it's made to emulate old noir movies. Mm-hmm, I think but, so. But there are certain moments like when he matches up the maps. Yep. or when he's crawling through the tunnels, when he finds the uh, the eye of Horus entryway, yeah, and yeah, he crawls through the tunnels. The music um, becomes video game music. for yep, like a absolutely, moment. and it's totally like when he's crawling through those those tunnels and he's down in that uh, that place where the eye of Horus is above the entryway, and he thinks it's a a, a a a bomb shelter. Yeah, there are the, all those pipes yeah, coming there are, out of there. Are Mario pipes, just like Mario Brothers. Uh, yeah, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, and Hero. and there's. They taught, I mean, Nintendo Magazine comes into it and the, yeah. Nintendo Power Magazine and they're playing Mario, him and Tilford right. Grace. Yeah, so he's had, you know, and this this Homeless King is, is keeping track of him, it seems like, through proxies or what have you. And um, so I think that what's really going on is he's on a modern day Knight's quest without really understanding what he's doing. Right. Um, and I also think that he is... Uh, uh, you know, in terms of like the tarot, which is, um, you know, another form of old magic. Right. Um, a lot of magical things, like systems, all kind of link up to each other. Right. And um, so uh, an early card in the tarot is the fool. Right. And the fool is accompanied by... The fool is walking off of the edge of a cliff and he's accompanied by a dog. hmm So, and there's so much dog symbolism throughout this entire movie and dog having a dog is super important to like the whole thing of i mean i I think that that's actually part of his his that he's lost his dog is really really important to what he's up what he's doing in some ways uh his dog is dead and so he's kind of like the fool without the dog and the dog the dog i believe that the dog okay so uh all right so (laughs) <laughs> this kind of makes me want to actually start talking through the film if you're good with that yeah interview. let's start start at the beginning i mean you have anything you want to say before i do that no i i mean i just want to say it's like this movie like with the first few scenes it there's so many codes like it's kind of like i know we're going to eventually get into the deeper stuff where mm-hmm. you've you've analyzed uh Stuff. I, I haven't heard what you what you've written down but i know no. you you get into different like alchemical stuff and and uh that symbolism in the mm-hmm. movie but just in the first scenes of the movie they hit you over the head with like four different code systems and like um i don't know i it's just i think that's a great way to start a movie i guess and and you You probably don't notice any of them the first time you're watching it. There'd be no way to know what the hell's, what the, there'd be no way to know that those codes were even, that they even exist in the film until probably you're halfway done with it to done with it. And then you might even start to think maybe. There's stuff. Maybe, but so he, and he also makes this point out of subliminal images in, you know, art forms in modern art and pop art. So. Right um throughout the film and so uh he's doing that right off the bat yeah Yeah. with the 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 unicorn tiger snake lion like before you even get to the uh, the actual film right there's just iconography and it's it's a a unicorn a tiger a snake and a lion and that's u t s l which under stands the silver for lake. under the silver lake, yeah. And that coincides right with the first four beats of the song as the right. starts, which is really beautifully done. Yeah, I agree. Genius. Genius. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's just killing it right from the the word go. Right. Um, so those that um what is Never that song? I love? That's the oh yeah, song. okay. I don't know who wrote that song, I'd have to look it up again. I can I'll look it up while you talk. Yeah. Um so uh it does the four notes of the Song and then our first image is "Beware the Dog Killer," which has been graffitied on the window of the coffee shop. Um, and yeah. uh, there's a woman wearing a Jim Morrison. Is shirt. it a, so? I this is something I wrote down. Is it a Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison shirt? I don't think so. You don't. You think it's a Jim Morrison shirt? Okay. You know, I didn't even consider that, but I really do think it's Jim Morrison. But okay. I'll I'll look for that next time. I never even thought that it was Val as Jim. Yeah, that would be weird. Yeah, never. My love was by the association. The association, right? Yeah. And so, right off the bat, are they a band that were had been ghostwritten for?
1: Is that a ghostwritten
0: pop song? Let me see. Uh, They. I don't know if you'd be able to know. Who wrote? uh, It's saying Dick Addressy and Don Addressy, the Addressy brothers. Hmm. i mean i it, don't know if they're probably in the association a man. Yeah. yeah probably i don't know you're welcome to see if you can find out who was in the association yeah. but uh so anyway this girl is uh this girl is trying to wipe off she's rubbing the bee uh-huh. um in beware the dog killer which what? is i i don't know what it means but i don't she's like uh pointlessly rubbing it Right, it's not you know really. I mean? It's not yeah. doing any good at all. Yeah. Um. But you think but, there's uh, there's some meaning to what the actual letter she's she's rubbing? I wonder. I mean, if if only because she's you're supposed to be looking at that, but it's not right. doing any good. So why is she doing it? Right. And that's the thing that blows me away about this movie is, is as much as I've tried to figure it all out, there are still little things where I'm like. Is that a thing or not? I don't know. Right. I mean, I feel like there's lots of, like, they must have put in extra moments. Yeah. Um, So it's, and it's backwards. So you're looking at beware the dog killer backwards. So I think that he's giving you a clue right away that you're about backwards messaging. Right. And also the idea of the relating dog to God. Right. That's my theory is that when you're seeing dog... That you're in some ways you're talking about uh, God, right? And uh, I think as interpret the the full tarot card is interpreted as he's accompanied by a dog, and that that dog on the card symbolizes God as well, right? So um, and the interesting thing is, is that the image of Jim Morrison's face on her shirt is peering through, I believe, the O in dog. Okay, that's So he's relating Jim Morrison to God there. Okay, and what about the, the G is also, it's kind of like an arrow the way it's written. Yeah, I don't know what that, I don't well, know. Well, I that think is. It, it's like an arrow and then it cuts to his face. Uh, mm-hmm. What's this, uh, Andrew Garfield's face. Yeah. Uh, Sam, the main character. Yeah. And his head is right where the arrow's pointing. You think that's purposeful? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. It could be like the G as in God and it's pointing up. Right. As in God. It could be that too, also. yeah. Also, you're probably meant to be looking at that. It's sort of a sexualized image because this woman's, you know, breasts are very prominent. Right. As she's cleaning this thing. <laughs> so and I think that they're making like a point of like, there's this there's this thing about sex in this movie that is related to God as well. Right sure um and so and 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 the, also the objectification of women is all over it's, this film she, very purposefully. Yeah. and i don't think that the filmmaker is a misogynist as he does this film i think he's doing this to show a thing yeah he, he's trying to make a point out of something yeah i actually read an interview and he said he wrote this in like 2012 mm. and he was writing it about like kind of like very dark things he saw in hollywood basically so this movie is kind of like a, a fantasy version of hollywood um where he's 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 like focusing on darker aspects hmm. and he said by the time it came out like stuff like the me too movement was starting to gain traction Ah, and, and stuff okay. so okay yeah which is interesting because the film takes place in 2011 right which i didn't realize until i you know i've listened to a few podcasts with people kind of you know talking about the film and not going in depth into the film, like we're going to. Right. But just sort of talking about their interpretations of it, which is fun to listen to people interpret this film without actually catching on to like what's going on, what it's really trying to do. Right. You know, and that they get something out of it, but they're kind of mystified by it is the sense I get. Yeah. No, they're not sure exactly what this film is up to, but, um, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, We were talking about objectifying women. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So definitely that's absolutely it. That's all there in that first image. Absolutely. And I really do think that her wearing Jim Morrison, you know, if you want to relate him to um, music and him and Kurt Cobain are both dead at 27. Sure. Uh, Jim Morrison's dad famously had something to do with the Gulf of Tonkin that got us into the Vietnam war. Oh, snaps. There's a lot of uh, scholarship about uh, how a lot of pop music that came out of the 60s was created by children of people in the military and in the uh, the alphabet groups, you know, the uh-huh. CIA, FBI, that kind of stuff, so that they think that it's possible that, you know, there's conspiracy around pop music from the 60s. Wow, I had never heard of that. Yep, yep, look it up. They're all like, that's... Uh, they're all in uh, that area of L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Zappa used to live. I can't right. remember it right now. But um, but yeah, so there's scholarship about that that's been around for a while. Um, so I don't know how deeply he's trying to associate Jim Morrison with all of that. But I think maybe at the very least, there's Jim Morrison's like the doors of perception, that sure. whole idea. He's looking through the O in God, and he's also dead at twenty-seven, just like Cobain. So yeah, I mean, it's such an iconic image that yeah, I, yeah. I can't imagine them not choosing that shirt on purpose. It's absolutely on purpose. I'm convinced of it. And you know, and you said an iconic image, and I gotta say, like, this film is filled with amazing shots. Yes, sure. Ever, like, there's so many incredible. Like, you could probably pause stills of this film, and they would look like these. Amazingly assembled photographs, and uh, there's so much beautiful attention to filmmaking and to the real art of composition, and 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 especially because he's dealing with all these subliminal messages and codes, like he's really got to be caring about the filming and how right. shots are assembled and all that stuff. So, um, if you like movies and you want, you know, to dig into a film that is fun to interpret or even just fun to watch. It's a really well. Yeah. Then movie. I mean that I feel like it was the first thing that got me into the movie was how mm-hmm. well it was made and put in like how amazing the shots were and how like, like it really leads you on a journey. Like you yeah. feel like you're going into the belly of the beast while yeah. watching it. You don't know it though. You don't no. know what you're in for. No, you, you great, have no idea. You're, sort of, yeah. you're the fool, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And um, so we're immediately like, you know, we go from that image to uh, the main character, Sam. Now, consequently, no one ever says his name a single time through the whole movie. Right. So his name is Sam, according to, um, uh, uh, you know, articles that you'll read about the film and stuff. But no one ever calls him by his name. Is he referred to as Sam in the credits? I don't remember. All right but um as far as i can tell never a once does anyone say his name not right. his mother his girlfriend quote yeah, unquote. even his buddy in the bus girlfriend is always the guy in the bus who he calls alan never yeah. refers he, to him yeah as he's as always like hey or yeah yep. <laughs> yep yep that guy is wonderful i love yeah, that he's, acting he's, in he's film, and i'm going to apologize ahead of time i haven't uh, the one thing that I forgot to do was really write down all the actors' names. Yeah. Because I would love to give them more credit for all the amazing acting. There's so much wonderful acting in this film, too. But uh, in in terms of me obsessing over this film, I really didn't dig into... Uh, I didn't take the time to write down all the actors' names, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time for that. Hold on. Oh, maybe the the internet guy can help you out here. Well, you can probably just go to the wiki and find a list of all the actors. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, So we go from Beware the Dog Killer to Sam. And I think what we're immediately trying to set up is that Sam might be the dog killer. Right. Right. That seems to be what they're pointing to. There's a a lot of moments, you know, that lead up to the moment at the end where uh, the Homeless King is confronting him. Why does he have the dog biscuits? Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. But we'll, and, uh, we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, and he's so he's such a creep. Yeah. <laughs> that you know, like he's he's like the dark side of a detective, although, you know, a lot of detectives are sort of broken people in noir right. films, and he is a perfectly right. broken character. I mean, right. he's a mess. Right. But I but I feel like they're totally portraying him as the hero. And and it's it's like you watch it and he's doing all these crazy sh- shit during the movie and Right. And I but I feel like it doesn't it doesn't play like he's doing anything wrong in the movie, but you're watching it and you watch him doing you're doing stuff and you're like, oh, whoa, this, this is messed up. He's, but he's his all his behavior is, is it's a little off. Yeah, totally. Especially that moment where he's shoving the eggs in the kid's yeah. face. Well, that's, the, that's, that's the what I keep thinking psychotic. of. Psychotic. Yeah, he looks psycho in that yeah, movie. He's a, he's a that, nightmare. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, this guy could very well be a, mur- a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> like, who knows what this guy's up to? So, all right, so we're being, we're giving that, we're are immediately probably, as a viewer, supposed to make the association between the dog killer and Sam. Yeah. Um. Then we, uh. so we're it's still in the first moment of this movie. Yeah, this um, is like we, still the first shot. Yeah, we pan across a and line we, of maybe people the second shot. job. Yeah. There's a guy and wearing a green shirt yeah. that has a bunch of animal symbols on it, yeah. just like the four animal symbols at the very beginning of the of the of the film, you know, for the first four notes of the film, and his animal his animal symbols are a bear, a walrus, an alligator, a raccoon, and then the next line is a dog, an ostrich, a giraffe, and then the next line is a koala, an iguana, a lion, and a raccoon, raccoon. again. Yeah. And so that's B-W-A-R-D-O-G-K-I-L-R, beware dog killer. Yeah. So we're reinforcing beware the dog killer again. Yeah. And what I noticed later on at the party where he goes to the purgatory party. Yeah, there's two guys wearing the same shirt. Wearing the same shirt. So it's a shirt in the neighborhood. Yeah. And there's another guy at that party wearing a shirt that you can't, it's not clear enough to read, but it's same kind of iconography. And he's also that guy. Yeah. Which is really frustrating because you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what is on the shirt? I don't know. But what I think is, is it's all the same shirt. I think that one looks different, though. You think so? Yeah. I'm not convinced. I, I agree with you, but yeah. I was trying to figure it out because it did look different to me. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So we're shown that. Um, of someone still standing in line. So again, beware of the dog killer. So that's very important right off the bat. Then uh, Sam is sort of sleepily staring at this girl. Yeah. As she rubs the window. And he's got a weird, as he turns around to look at the, at like where the cashiers would be, he kind of has a little bit of a smile on his face. Yeah, like a weird smirk. Yeah. Like he knows something. Yeah. You know, which I think, you know, implies that he's up to no good again. Right. Um, and then we, uh, are shown these girls underneath a coffee menu. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so there's a code on the menu. And yeah, there's Morse code. Yeah. What is is that code? That code. And it's underneath like the, like the coffee drinks. So it's not really, you would see, you would never know it was there. Yeah. The only reason you'd see it is if you're looking for codes and it's Morse code. It's, X-J-V-O-O-J-R-Y-X-E-R-S-W. I think that's what it is, and uh, which just is gibberish. So you're like, oh, even if you do figure it out and you translate it, you're like, oh, I've got a – I don't know what this means. You need a code for the code. You need a code for the – it's like a substitution code. Yeah. And do you want to reveal what it is now? Um, It's already been revealed on the internet. Yeah. I'm trying to think of where I wrote it down. I know what it is. I know you do. I, okay. I, I also know what it is. It, <laughs> uh, yeah, why don't you just say it? I'll, I it's, think it's what three words. Oh, yeah, that is know? what it is. It's what okay. three words. with missing an E. Yeah, which is referring to a, uh, if you Google search that, mm-hmm. it brings you to what three words website where you can type in any three words and it'll take you to a geographic location. It's like every, it's like, it's if, as if they made tiny squares all over the map of the globe. Yeah. And that every square is represented by three words. So if you have the right three words, you should be able to find a certain, every, every square of the, of the map has been, is given three words and that, I guess in terms of codes, maybe if you get, if you got the right three words, then you would end up at a certain point on, you could, you could, you could, you know, like if you had a treasure map or something, you could show where the treasure is by saying, by giving a code of three words. Right. But this guy, I don't remember why the guy made that website. It's been around for a while, I think. Right. Yeah. I I don't think it has anything to do with under the silver lake. It's just, They're using it. It would have to be, though. There would have to be a purposeful location that he's trying to get us. Right, but I feel like the website probably existed before. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, and the guy who created that, he worked on the film, did he not? Oh, I don't know. There is a guy. I'll come to this at some point in my notes, but there is a guy... Who is a uh, you know who is into codes and ciphers and stuff like that. And I think he's the guy who made that website. Oh. and who worked on this film. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so, but again, this is a thing that you would never know in a million years was there right. unless you know you started you really dug into this film. I mean, even in my digging up into the movie, that's not a code like the code part of it is probably the stuff I would have never figured out, right. I never would have gotten that in a million fucking years. But I, you know, we there's already Reddits online and people yeah, have already... People are really into stuff cards. Online. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so he's staring at these two girls who are below the coffee menu. And they're just sort of talking to each other. And he looks kind of sad looking at them. Mm-hmm. And there's one girl who's a blonde and one girl who's a brunette. Right. And so I think... Uh, I guess I'll just say off the bat, I mean in some ways you could consider this as the two sides of his brain talking to each other, mm-hmm. but he can't hear what they're saying. Right. But then in the, in a, maybe a slightly more literal sense, the brunette represents his ex-girlfriend his ex, yeah. and the blonde represents. Um, the girl he's interested Sarah, in. Sarah, I believe yeah. is her name. The girl who he becomes obsessed with. Right. And there's blondes all over this movie. There man. are for wow. sure. Um, and I, uh, and and you know, this and he makes a real point of associating Sarah the blonde with Marilyn Monroe. Right. And I have things to say about that when right. we get to that. Okay. Okay. So the next shot is of the LA Weekly, which is a free paper in LA. Right. And it says, Who are Jesus and the Brides of Dracula? And it has a picture of a Jesus yeah. and three women, this yeah. guy and three women. Right. And, and our, band, and that'll become a, a theme. Yeah. A, a, a man and three women. They're all wearing veils, sort of. Yeah. Um, and it says below that on the front page of the L.A. Weekly, East L.A. resurrected or never dead. Right. So, again, he's because death and resurrection is a huge theme in this film. It is. And then this is the first time you really see it. And, uh, you know, Jesus and the Brides of Dracula are all right. are both ever-living. Oh, you're right. The Brides of Dracula would yeah. be immortal as well. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I didn't even make that connection. He really looks like a vampire, that Jesus guy. Yeah, totally. What a weird-looking, fascinating-looking uh, <laughs> yeah, actor. They a picked a great guy for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's incredible. And it's funny because he is, like, the least important aspect of that band like you can't even tell like uh the band what's the band that wrote that song uh silver sun pickups yeah and i think that they're an la band they might even be from silver lake for all we know right um and so when i listen to that song i don't hear a male voice in it it's in there but but yeah it's mostly the women singing yeah and that song is called turning teeth yeah um and i think it's on is it is it on during this scene or does it um, show up a little later? No, you know that, what? Maybe it doesn't show up until the blonde. He's yeah, until the blonde shows up. Shows up, but it might be in the scene too because it's it is all over the movie. They mm-hmm. they keep all inserting it. it in it. Yeah, all over it. So um, so they've set up this idea of a man and three women. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right away in the film, um, Jesus, and so uh, and and uh, in immortality. Also. Immortality, yep. Um, uh, east l a resurrected or never dead, yeah, oh, so Jesus in biblical history is related with three different Marys uh-huh. uh Mary, Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, who is, you know, was considered to be one of his followers but is most likely his wife in real right. if if Jesus is actually a real person. Right. Mary Magdalene is most likely Jewish royalty and she's his wife. Okay. And then the third Mary is, I believe there's, there's a bunch of other Marys in the Bible, but I think usually the third Mary is credited to someone named Salome. Hmm. I don't know much about her, but anyway, um, so that's sort of where he's getting this idea of the three women is right. Jesus and three Marys. um, and uh mary and and especially you know if we're going to talk about this as a knight's quest and uh you know like in in like king arthur that kind of thing the lady of the lake mary is like mar which i believe in spanish is sea yeah so she's a water a figure related to water and in the you know arthurian knight's quest there's always that water that water symbolism going on and and water is definitely, you know, symbolic of like rebirth, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the cosmic, uh, the cause, you know, like the cosmic primordial soup in a way, or the, or, you know, you, if you've been baptized as a Christian, you know, then you're born right. again. Right. And so, uh, like there's always symbolic, uh, you know, uh, water is always symbolic of female. Right. Uh, the the canal, the birth canal, the waters that, are, you know, like you're, you're uh, in when you're in the, in, the uh, in utero, which which I mean, maybe even relates right. back to Nirvana there. Right. Yeah. I was able to say that. Um, yeah. So they're already setting up that idea as well of under the Silver Lake and Mary's and water. So right, right away, there's water symbolism happening. Um, all right. So that's the first scene.
1: <laughs>
0: the very first scene. 40 um, min- it only took us 40 minutes to get to Jesus it. Christ. So yeah. he's walking then he's walking through his, the park near his apartment building, yeah. which is that main it's Griffith Park, right? It's Griffith Park, but it's the it's the other side. Um I mean it's the side It's what? gotta be the Silver Lake side. Yeah. But it's it's where the the music venue is and the coffee shop Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. because I've walked where he's walking. It's a little more in Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah, where that part where that walkway. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's more closer to the yeah the Hollywood sign and yeah because my buddy lived out right around there and I remember walking the way that the reason that that place looked familiar to me was because I remember being near he lived near the park and I remember that being near there. Yeah. Um, and there's a guy raking a pond. Yeah, what does that mean? I I'm Like, that I've been shot ju- feels so odd to me that I'm like, Very that has odd. to be something. Why is that there? I think he works for the Homeless King. Okay. And I so, think that's the first sign of them keeping tabs on him. Okay. Um, And then right away, he's walking into his apartment building yard area, and it's this incredible, like, shot that, like, zooms in on him or pans back or whatever. They use all these cool old yeah, zooming exactly. effects in this film. And uh, it, the the camera, like maybe zooms out away from him and then up into the air and a squirrel falls out of the ground, out right. of the, out of the trees and splats. Right. And then it's on like, the like reaching for him or something. Yeah. It looks like it's dying. It's kind of like, you know, like in a, in a murder mystery where the, some guy has been murdered and the detective is like, he he gives him like the secret word. Yeah. He, you know, like he'll say like rosebud or whatever right. and die. He yeah. kind of looks like he's doing that. Yeah. And so um, there's whistling sounds that happen mm-hmm. when that happens. And so this is a huge clue right here, the whistling sounds. The whistling sounds happen in other points in time during the film. And I think they are also related to... The Homeless King. Okay. When did they happen? Plan. When he first meets the homeless, two times that I can point out right now, and I sure have more in my notes, but when he first meets the Homeless King, right at the end of the Homeless King, like saying, I'm the Homeless King, yeah, there's a little bit of whistling. Okay. And then after the Homeless King leads him underground and leaves him there, he's walking through the underground tunnels. There's a lot of that same whistling sound okay. going on there. So this is related to that somehow. Okay. OK, um, so and the other thing is, is that when he meets the Homeless King the first time, the Homeless King has some sort of rodent like creature on his cloak, on his shoulder. Yeah, it's got like a pelt, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like a pelt. So and I'm sus- I'm assuming it's a squirrel. Right. So I think you're supposed to think between the whistling and the squirrel that that is related to the Homeless King as well. And the way I kind of interpret this is like, in some ways, it's like the sky is falling Mm -hmm. and he's chicken little, you know what I mean? Um,
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and in some ways, it's sort of like the, like the, like Lucifer falling to earth. Okay. You know, it's something it's like from the heavens to the earth. So it's a message from God, you know, and it's, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's an omen. Yeah, for sure raise his attention yeah but i think it could also be like a sign from the homeless king themselves meaning like look out or we're watching you or something like that Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know i'm i it's it's hard to totally get exactly what it means but it's definitely an an omen and um oh also the whistling happens the first time he sees the keep quiet symbol oh yeah yeah you're right So it's all related to the, ho- all that stuff is related to the homeless King, in my opinion. Um, so then we're in his building. We got this cool, shaking, shaky sort of horror shot that follows him around his corner. Right. the front door. And there's a lot of going around the corner shots. Sure. In the film. That's sort of horror. I feel like it's kind of a horror technique, but I also think it's supposed to sort of connotate like a ma- him being in a maze. Right. Like a video game. Right. Um, and then you see his door, which is number 23, and it says your rent is seriously overdue. You have five days to pay or you'll be evicted. Okay, and there again is the reinforcement of the number 23 with the five yeah. days to pay. Right. Oh, okay. Yep. So now he's on the porch looking at the LA Weekly. There's bird noises going on. And if you listen to this with headphones, it goes from the left to the right ear. Hmm. The, the parrot. Do you Top. know what, uh, the, I haven't really researched what the parrot is saying. Uh, so do you have any? People think it might be saying ova. Right. Like egg. Like egg. But when I listen to it, I think he's saying Oliver. Okay. Which God only knows why. My suspicion is, and maybe I'll do this between this time and the next time, is that you're supposed to play what he's saying backwards. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Suspicion. Yep. Yep. I'm probably wrong. But I can't I feel like they make such a point out of this bird talking that it's a clue, and he wants you to get it again. Yeah. But some people think it's ova, which is egg right. Yeah, I mean, there's scenes where they're talking about what what is the bird saying and they're like his his uh quote unquote girlfriend keeps saying stuff that sounds nothing like what the bird is saying. She thinks it says not a friend, yeah, And then she thinks it says Rotterdam, right. Which is really weird. Yeah. Why? Um, So he's on his porch. He's watching the older woman dance topless. Right. With the birds. Right. On her porch. And um, the bird's saying something. We don't know what it is. Right. She's got a bird on her shoulder. She's lovingly like petting it. She's right. dancing around. This has got a symbolism in my mind. Sure. Yeah. Um, I completely I, agree. There's so much Egyptian symbolism specifically in this film and a lot of, and you pointed out another character later on wearing in a very Egyptian dress. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there are like Egyptian goddesses that are topless. Right. D- depicted topless. There's a lot of women depicted topless in this film. Right. And I think, I feel like it's an Egyptian illusion. Right. Um. And so while he's watching her lovingly dancing with this bird and by the way I was in the park today and I walked by a guy who was walking with a green parrot on his shoulder and he was like lovingly like making noises at it while yeah. he walked down the parkway nice it was weird that was that was my synchronicity for the day <laughs> um while he's watching this older woman dancing around with the birds which I feel like is angelic or a heaven illusion something right his mother calls him right and she tells him that seventh heaven is playing on tcm tonight okay it's a janet gainer movie from 1927 right okay and um and so i looked up this movie janet this seventh heaven movie and i also watched it online you can watch it on youtube for free yeah this movie seventh heaven is uh the first film to be nominated for Academy Award. Hmm. It won the first Best Picture, and Janet Gaynor won the first uh, Best Actress Academy Award. It's a silent movie. It also won Best Director and a Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, It all takes place, I believe, in Paris. I want to say it's Paris. Right. It's a uh, Fox film. It's called Seventh Heaven, um, it starts out with these guys in the subway. I mean, in the, they're in the, uh, I'm sorry, they're in the sewer, right. cleaning the sewer. And the one character is wishing that he could have a job cleaning the streets, which would be a better job. Um, and, and someone dumps water on them from, from street level while they're in the sewer. So right away at the beginning of this film, there's guys in a tunnel underground.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um, and then it's all about how the film goes on to be about uh, Janet Gaynor plays this girl who's the sister of a of a absinthe addict who gets like put out on the street. And the guy who works in the sewer takes her in out of charity hmm. um, because he needs to be he needs to prove that Oh, she almost gets arrested and he saves her from getting arrested. And the way that he saves her from getting arrested is by saying that she's his wife. And so then they have to pretend that they're married because the cop says we're going to send somebody by later to make sure. Right. So he takes her up to his apartment and he lives way up high in this elevated apartment. And there are even um uh uh like walkways above the buildings out up high and um and uh uh she keeps on referring to his apartment as heaven. Right. Um, And there's lines in this, like uh, a ladder leading from the depths to the heights, from the sewers to the stars. Mm. That's something that they say in Seventh Heaven. Okay. And so it goes on. The film is really pretty simple, actually. She ends up like, they end up sort of showing that they need each other. And eventually they fall in love and get married. And then... He gets, he goes off to fight a war, right? Uh, pre World War II, I believe, obviously, because it's 1927, so I think it's pre Nazis, right? Um, and he becomes blinded in the war and he makes it back in time. Uh, he makes it back to her by the end of the movie, but now he's blind, right? Um, and they live way up high in this, you know, uh, in this place that she considers to be heaven, so, um. This movie's important for some reason. Uh, I think the filmmaker is super. He's really, really concerned with history, right? Right. He's all over him film. This there's film history all over this motherfucking movie. Um, if I was better versed in film history, I would probably be able to find more things. There's definitely a moment where he's referencing uh, Citizen Kane. Right. Um, he's definitely referencing uh, an unmade, an unfinished Marilyn Monroe film when uh, the blonde girl is swimming in the pool uh, during one of Sam's dreams. So I, and, and there's just like film history. It's just riddled with film history, this movie. Um, And so this Janet Gaynor thing, the mom's calling on the phone. She's talking about Janet Gaynor. He's looking at a naked older woman dancing with birds. My first question is, is the mom dead? Oh. I don't know does she exist I mean I assume she is but but later she calls while he's in the graveyard at, she calls at, him while he's passed uh, out in front of Janet, Janet Gainer's grave. grave yeah it's crazy yeah is she real I mean you could say that about so much stuff in this movie Right. this seems to be one of the things I didn't consider yeah. not being real um, it seems very real. I mean, the, the, but you're making an association between the older, right. Half naked woman with the birds and the yeah, mother. Correct. Okay. I think that's purposeful. Yeah, I agree. He tells his mom that he's got, he's working. Right. On the phone. We never see him work. No. And later he talks about how he's sick of talking about work and, mm-hmm. That's all anyone ever asks him about. And he's obviously probably unemployed. He's absolutely unemployed. <laughs> he's, there's a point where a couple of times when he runs into Alan, yeah. he's like, what's up? And Alan's like, oh, you know, working. Yeah. But then when he describes what he's doing for work, he's just thinking about stuff. Right. So my theory is that they're both former actors. Right. That Alan, the guy who says I'm working, is an actor. an out-of-work actor and that he's still trying to hustle yes and and there's lots i feel like almost everyone in the movie is like someone who's trying to either trying to hustle or trying to work a hustle they're all um victims of la of la yeah of wanting to go to la and be immortalized on the film yeah that they're victims of the dream of becoming a star yeah yeah absolutely and so Sam is the only person who you never really find out what he used to do at all. Like there's no clue, but even his ex-girlfriend is an actress. Right, and his current right. girlfriend is an actress. Yeah. And, and I'm willing to bet you that the blonde that he becomes obsessed with was an actress. At right. And uh his his house has movie old movie posters all over all it. All over it. And the mother is obsessed with that old movie. Yeah. So I think. Maybe he was an actor who got lost a while ago. Right. Like he hasn't tried to get a job in a long, long time. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I mean, that might be related to his ex-girlfriend because he seems to still not be over her at all. No. Or, yeah. Seemingly. Right. Yeah. Something's up. But, you know, and and what I found out today is there's one allusion to him having a father in this film, hmm. which we'll come to. Okay. But for the most part, his father is never ever spoken about. Right. Ever. Except one moment he talks about him. The mother never references him. Right. Um, we don't know where his money's coming from. Like how is he he's not even fussed about paying his rent. Right. He's got a decent car. Yeah. Well he's sure. got an apartment filled with stuff. He lives on his own. Right. But his car gets taken away because he's not paying he's not he's no longer paying bills. He's no longer paying bills, but he but will he buy. A... He, he does buy food and he does buy drinks for people. Yep. And he lives in a nice place by yeah. himself with, with, you know, lots of guitars and yeah. posters and all that stuff. So, um, he used to have a job or maybe the mom's been sending him money. Right. I mean, there's not a, there's not really a clue about that. And, it also makes me wonder where's the dad? who was the dad? right. So, and I think that this is a symbolic this is symbolic as well. The mom, so I feel like the mom's associated with this famous old silent movie actress and mm. this older woman right. with the birds. So there's some sort of goddess, yeah, and like heaven like symbolism Gaia. Gaia yeah, Gaia or angelic. I feel like yeah. there's sort of an angelic well, it's thing. it's like nurturing. Like like maybe one of the only nurturing elements in the whole movie. Yes. But the dad is nowhere to be seen Mm -hmm. and he doesn't, his dad, his dog is dead. Right. So maybe his dad is dead and the dad is also his God is dead. And I think Uh what this guy is godless. Right. He's dadless. He's godless. He's dogless. Right. So he's a lost soul in that way. Right. Um, so in a way, part of my theory is that he is the dog killer, because what he actually is, since dog killer is backwards and the first time we see it, he's the God killer. Right. He's it, he it, he's a victim of a modern society, and we've murdered God in modern society. Right. Society. right. Um, and yet he's a knight on a spiritual quest, so I think he's trying to find his God. Right. Okay. So... What's the bird saying, Oliver? I don't know. Yeah. We close in on a cigarette. He dumps a cigarette in a water bottle. The, right. cigaret, yeah. the water bottle is filled with cigarettes. Right. So he's been doing that. He's been sitting on his porch doing this, looking at people with his binoculars for a while. For a long time. He's also smoking Morley's, which are famous uh, movie cigarettes. Uh-huh. That are based on Marlboro. Right. But They can't use Marlboro, so they've created a movie cigarette called Morley. Right. Uh, Morley's have appeared in TV and film for decades. I think their first appearance is in Hitchcock's Psycho. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's Um, lots of Hitchcock references. A lot of Hitchcock in this movie, and him sitting on the back porch with the binoculars is like a window. Yeah. Right. So I think we're supposed to be getting Hitchcock vibes. Um, He's lying to his mom. He's telling her that he's working and that he's got to go back to work. Well, and that's is that the first time he's set up as like an unreliable narrator? Yeah, because that's the first thing we hear him say, actually. Okay. And he says he doesn't have a cable. I think when she tells him that the movie is on. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then uh, the blonde enters. This is where the blonde enters. Right, and turning teeth. And she's listening to Turning Teeth, the Jesus and the Brides of Dracula song. Right. That will happen over and over again. The lyrics that we first hear are, you and I tunneling beneath the skin of a city we live in. Yeah. She's there. She's got a dog. Yeah. A nice, beautiful little dog. She's wearing all white. Also. All white and a hat that looks like a halo. Right. So she's completely angelic. Yeah. Yeah. She says, come along, you soda pop, I think is what she calls him. It's women time. Right. His name is Coca-Cola, we find out later. Right. So uh, reliable as sunshine. Yeah. So again, there's like God symbolism there. There's like this holy symbolism of sun. She's got this hat with a halo around it. She's completely angelic. She's happy. She's listening to this music that has messages for him. And she's leading him to the water. It's swimming uh-huh. time. So immediately we're setting up the relationship between the women and the and the water. Right. We also know that she's, we also come to learn that she's one of three women that end up underground with a rich man. Right. So she's in the whole zone of the, she's running in the circles as Jesus and the Brides of Dracula. Right. Um, which essentially are these girls, these women who are probably all f- struggling or failed actresses who right. have become essentially call girls. Right. Um, so she's dancing with the dog. The bird lady asks her to turn the music down and she pretends to turn right. it down. Yeah. 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 I love that. It just sort of shrugs like it doesn't get any quieter than this. Yeah, yeah. The bird lady's like, thanks a lot, and slams closes the door. Um (laughs) he finds it funny also. He loves it. He's so enamored with her immediately. Um uh the song saying exploring where the cameras cannot see. Um She's telling the dog, you love this song. A do- there's a knock on Sam's door. She looks up and sees that he's watching. watching her with binoculars. He he crawls into his apartment, and there's a shot of her kind of looking a little, a shot of the blonde looking a little confused with the dog. And again, she's the way she's framed and photographed, she's just iconically... Hollywood, right? You know, um, he lets in his current girlfriend, yeah, who's yeah. known as actress in the credits, right? But she's from uh, Garfield and Oates, I think. Yeah, Ricky Lindholm. I do know her number. Yeah, uh, her name. She's dressed as like a Swiss girl. Yeah, is she, she supposed to be from The Sound of Music or something? I mean, I don't. She doesn't say what she's. She's dressed like she just says it's for an audition. Is she another call girl? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Because she's dressed as a sexy Swiss girl and then later as a sexy nurse. Right. Like, it's not Halloween. Right. Why is she dressed like that? Is she doing, is she a fucking, she she's, another call girl? I don't know. I, I is hadn't thought about card? that till, till now. I don't think so. Cause she's, She's talking like she's at an audition. She's If she is, she's... Well, she, she could be lying. Yeah, well, she's lying to him. hmm You know, so maybe she is another call girl. Yeah. I wonder. She's definitely not making it. Yeah. Like, whatever she's doing, she's not getting rich off of that. No. She also talks to him like they barely know each other. Right. She's clearly surprised him, but... The way they relate to each other, and they don't call each other by their names. No, and he never awkward. He's, he never looks her in the eyes. No, never? I mean maybe when he maybe when he's getting into like his talk of codes. Yeah, when he's in the bathtub. Yeah, but for the most yeah. part he doesn't look her in the eyes. Weird. Yeah. She brings sushi over, which is another you know, fish water. Yeah. Every all these women have a similar body types. Yeah. It's all tall long legs you know yeah there's a lot of that body type she she has the similar body type right and then she's the first person that points out the smell yeah and what do you what's the smell about because this is before he's even sprayed by a skunk is um is this like some i i watched this with with anna uh and she was saying like he must be stoned the entire movie They never really show him smoking pot at all. They don't, but he behaves really oddly through the whole movie. He behaves, well, what I think is he's had uh, some kind of slight psychotic break. Psychotic break, break, yeah. That's obviously part of it, yeah. And that's why he's so mumbly and weird in some ways is he's detached from reality. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why he's not working and why he's obsessed with codes and stuff like that. Right is he's become detached from reality, which I think is super important to his journey. Yeah. That he's no longer in the world anymore. Right. In a real way. In fact, the first shot of him in the coffee shop, he looks off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's not totally there. Right. Um, And I think this is ingenious that to make him like this in this film, and I feel like that's very indicative of modern young people. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying even people younger than us. I'm saying us down. Right. Like people who are like a little detached from reality. In, yeah. In a regular day-to-day basis. Right. Um, Okay. So this blonde chick is introduced as soon as we're introduced to the other blonde chick. Yeah. So there's this thing of doubles going on in this movie. Yeah. Right? And we're supposed to be relating the blonde girlfriend that uh, Ricky Lindholm. Yeah. To it's, it's the other blonde woman, Riley Keough, or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Keough, I think Keo. it might be. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about Riley Keo is she is the granddaughter of Elvis. Oh, nice. Yeah, isn't that incredible? That is cool. And that almost feels purposeful to me, even though he never references Elvis in this movie, but right. he might as well. That idea, like she's part of you know Hollywood royalty, right, seems right. significant somehow. But uh, yeah, so as soon as the as soon as we come across the Riley Keo, we come across the 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 chick dressed in the Swiss outfit. So yeah. they're sort of like doubles somehow, right? You know, and I think it, it kind of in my mind it sort of sets up this idea of like is one of them real and one of them not real? Hmm. I don't know. Right. I mean, this is some very together. Some very David Lynch ideas you're having, definitely. She asks, what's the deal with the smell? He says, skunks, there are skunks living in the area. Mm-hmm. I think. But that sounds d- like a, no, a, a deflection. It does. It sounds like he's lying. But half the time when he talks, he sounds like he's lying. Right. I think maybe this smell is supposed to indicate that he's dead. dead. Right. I, I was thinking the same thing. That he is a dead. He, he's still he living is dead. a zombie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The living dead. Exactly. He's not alive in his life. He's not a lot. He has no God in his life. He's missing a vitality, an, an important form of awareness. He's asleep in his own life, sort of. Right. Um, and he has, like, a Dracula poster. Like, when they're having sex, there's, like, a Dracula poster behind them. Oh, I will go through you. the okay. posters. Okay, cool. I'll go through the posters. All right. We're so, we started. go from them talking about the smell. Yeah. So now we go around the corner again. Right. And they're fucking in on the bed. Right. He's wearing a shirt. Do you know what is on his shirt? It's a I video game. I think it's hold on. It might be Jaws. But I'm not sure. It yeah, it's definitely some Nintendo game. It's at least an allusion to a Nintendo game. Yeah, I I'm sure it's from a real Nintendo game. But it kind of looks like the Hollywood Hills as well. Yeah. Weirdly enough. They're fucking, she's totally naked. He's fucking her doggy style. Right. So again, dog. Yeah. There's a a Kurt Cobain poster above them. Yeah. And then there's maybe at least three- Blank spots. um, Blank spots where there used to be pictures on the wall. Right. So I think that this is symbolic of, not only is this symbolic of that his girlfriend has left him. Right. That she used to live there. And she took her posters with her. Right. But Kurt Cobain is Jesus. Right. And he's missing his three Marys. Right. Totally. So that's symbolic of Sam is as Jesus without his Marys. Right. Okay. And Kurt Cobain is also his God, right? Right. And they're fucking doggy style in front of Kurt Cobain. Like it's a ritual, like it's a... A sex ritual, right? He's fucking in front of his god, right? They're kind of dispassionately fucking. She's staring at the picture, right? <laughs> and they're watching TV, and they're ta- they're just talking about the picture too. <laughs> She's like, um, "Oh, they're also." Oh, it's the Jungle King arcade game. It's- what is that? I don't know. Do you have you ever heard of that? Nope. Huh. Alright, yeah, that's something for somebody to look up. Um, but they're dispassionately having sex. There's also women playing tennis on television, yeah. and they're making grunting noises like they're right. sex noises. Right. But I think what's happening is that this is a ritual sex act. They're fucking in front of Kurt Cobain, but they're doing it the way you would do it in front of Kurt Cobain if he was your god, which would be apathetically. Right. Okay. He's right. The ap- okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the god of apathy. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of that just now. Yeah. And it's it's like, yeah. And then there's all the empty spaces too. So. Yeah. She's saying, I like your poster. He says, thanks. I actually <laughs> I um, got it signed. saw him in concert, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. And then he talks about how it was signed recently by Kurt Cobain's daughter. Right. <laughs> okay. Now I feel like this is purposeful because we're gonna come to eventually uh, Jefferson Sevens' daughter. Right. So Kurt Cobain as Jesus. Yeah. Jefferson Sevens is like a, again, he he he's in the position of Jesus with three Marys later on in the film. Right. And his daughter we're meant to relate to, that, that Sam has an interaction with his daughter. Right. Um, so I think it's purposeful that Kurt Cobain's daughter has signed this painting. Right. Or this picture. All right. So um, he's also got posters of Dracula. Right. The brain that wouldn't die. Right. 20,000 leagues under the sea. Those are the posters that we see behind them as they're fucking. Right. Okay. So. And there's, the Dracula, a, t- there's a 12 monkeys poster in the room too. Is there? Yeah, it's behind the amp. Interesting. To on the right side. But Dracula. So we've yeah. got a relationship with the brides of Dracula. Yeah. Brain that wouldn't die. Sort of like a zombie kind of. Yeah. Um. And Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Here we are with the, oh, the with water, the water and, yeah. And then they're fucking. A special report comes on. Jefferson Sevens has gone missing. Right. Um, And that's where we first see his daughter, uh, Millicent, which is played by Callie Hernandez. Okay. She's there. It's the mother and five or six kids. Yeah. Does it six or five? Do you know? Hold on, It's five kids according to my notes. Okay. Yeah. You're probably right. And they're all, uh, and the one that one kid really, I mean, the oldest daughter really stands out. She's wearing a gold dress. Yeah, that's that feels very kind of Greek. Yep. Um it's got like a a Greek pattern on it. Yep. So there's goddess in yellow too. So she really stands out. She is in gold yeah, every gold. time we see her. Yeah. She's wearing gold every time we see her. So I think this is goddess imagery, goddess imagery. Yeah. Um everyone else is saying we miss you daddy and she's saying nothing. Yeah. She looks weird like she's she to me has seen some shit. Yeah. She knows what this world is that the father is involved in. Right. For real. Right. You know, like she's probably been somebody's concubine at some point. Right. Something. Well, I mean later she you know like she t- takes him into the lake to uh so they can yeah. talk privately like that's right. obviously someone who knows there's people after them. Yes, right? and people, or the people, people are watching really like. Yeah. Yeah. And what those people really are all about because yeah. she's acting like she can't be sad in the same way that the rest of the family is sad because she knows too much. Right. Um. So- Well, uh, and that's who, the moment where he comes too. Yes, Larry. yes, yes. Oh, well, it's really funny. <laughs> and they say- <laughs> Um, so they're watching this and it's a sad story. And the girl, the, the, the actress as she's being talked is going, "Aw, yeah. She feels sad for the family. Um, the, uh, Jefferson sevens has gone missing off the coast of Catalina on a fishing trip. Yeah. Now Catalina is related to the cult of the whale. Okay. Oh yeah. Which the guy mentions. Yes, it's in the comic book if you freeze the page of the comic book. Yeah. For the cult of the whale, it's related to Catalina. Um and he has been it's mentioned that he was driving a 1935 Duesenberg. Uh-huh. Um that year that the movie came out, the most expensive car ever sold was a 1935 Duesenberg that had been owned by the actor Gary Cooper for $22 million. Mm. But obviously when he made this film, he couldn't have known that. Right. But supposedly Gary Cooper and Clark Gable would drive these cars around the Hollywood Hills. They would race them around the Hollywood Hills. Right. 1935 Duesenberg. Um, The daughter, yeah, the daughter really stands out amongst the group of, of the family and she's wearing gold and she's got those Greek patterns on it. The mother talks about how there's going to be a two million dollar reward, as their fu- and so their fucking gets more intense as the mother's talking about that, and he comes. Yeah, they both come, I guess. Um, the the mother on the TV says, "Please bring Daddy home." As right, they come. right, yeah, which is hysterical. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, I agree. really fucking funny. That is yeah. beautiful. I think then it goes back to the women playing tennis. Yeah, on TV. it does which is also kind of funny. Um, let's see. Okay. And then they start so talking we, about the bird again. So now we're seeing them post She's still uh, bare-chested. Yeah. So, But her waist is covered from the waist down. So again, I think this is like goddess or Egyptian goddess symbolism. Right. And she's got like, is that her real hair? Or is she wearing like part of a... a... Like there's a braid around her head. Is that like an attachment? Okay. I think it's real. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why is she supposed to be Swiss or German? What's that all about? Right. Who knows? Um, I'd like to know if you know, if someone out there knows, let us know. Yeah. Um, she's saying, what's he saying? There you're hearing the bird talking. The bird to me sounds like it's saying Oliver. Mm -hmm. The actress is saying, what's it saying? he says i don't know she says not a friend right um then she picks up his playboy which is of the woman the cover on the cover it's a woman upside down covering her breast right. underwater right yeah um which comes back later and he says uh, that's the first thing i ever masturbated to um, and he says that he found it in his father's workbench or something like that. Right. So that's the only oh, that reference is, yeah. to the father. Okay. So this is a super important image: this girl upside down underwater. Right. Super, super important, and it's that's the one reference to the dad. Right. So I think that's important. Um, it also says on the cover of that Playboy. The Dolls Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Oh, okay. So that's another trio. Oh, is that that film is a trio? I I I don't remember, but I think uh-huh. so. But it's like a famous That's a Russ Myers movie. It was written by Ebert. Roger Ebert. Yeah. Um, with female protagonists, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, but and... it's also like
0: very like male gazy. Oh, is ex- it? exploitative? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that's what it says on the Playboy. I wonder if that cover is actually a real old cover. It must be. I I, ima- I, mean, so? I imagine it is. Yeah. I just assumed it is, but maybe it's not. What What year was it? I can look it up. I don't know. Okay. Um, You got to think it's a 70s. It kind of yeah. looks like a 70s Playboy. They say what year it's from, though, don't they? I also wonder if the dolls reference is a reference to the three dolls sure. in the the blonde's apartment yeah. later on. Then the actress says, "What are these?" and she starts looking through his notes. Mm-hmm. He gets up. He's like, "No, no, no, no." He takes them away and he hides them. So, he doesn't give a fuck about telling her that uh, there's showing her a Playboy, right, that he's been talking about masturbating to it. She says the first person she first thing she ever masturbated to was Charles in charge. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. I don't know if that's symbolic or just funny. Right. Um But he doesn't, so he's not self-conscious about that, but he is self-conscious about these notes. He hides them. She says, Rotterdam? She thinks the bird's saying Rotterdam. Right. So that's another sort of Swiss, uh, Amsterdam. Right. Uh, What's that? The Netherlands. Anyway, that she's, she's saying, she's saying that maybe it's a reference to like what she looks like. I don't know, but she thinks maybe the bird is saying Rotterdam. Um, he gets out of bed as she's talking. They're talking about that. He's looking at the blonde coming home with her dog and the camera's zooming in on her ass. Right. She says, what are you looking at? He says that damn bird. Right. Which is a double entendre. Right. Right. So, yeah. And uh, the Playboy is a real magazine. When's it from? Uh, July, 1970. 70 interesting yeah wow that's older than me yeah um okay so we go from that to him driving through silver lake crossfades into him driving around silver lake um well makes a point out of looking at intelligentsia that coffee shop i don't know why And then it goes and it fades into an around the corner shot of bookshelves in the bookstore. What's that bookstore, Andy? Uh, Is that the bookstore that's actually downtown? Yeah, that's that's uh, oh man. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it's downtown. So the, the geography doesn't make sense in this movie. Well, he's clearly just using it as yeah. a cool looking bookstore. Yeah. But maybe it's supposed to be like Circus, Circus of Books or whatever that place yeah, was. Yeah, but that place looks totally that's different. That's in Silver Lake? Yeah. Yeah. I think that maybe it's called supposed- the last bookstore. They even the guy in the store is wearing a last bookstore shirt. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he's just fudging the location. Yeah. Okay. Because we're sp- still supposed to be in Silver Lake. Yeah. So we do that kind of Zoom horror thing around the corner to him looking at the Silver Lake zine. Right. I mean, he's been messing with locations right from the beginning because where he's walking through Griffith Park is nowhere near Silver Lake. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I, yeah. Okay. But that's just movie, like best looking shot kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, Because he never makes a point out of saying here I am in silver in the park, in this parkway, this walkway in Silver Lake. Like, Mm -hmm. So you're just supposed to be assuming that everything's in Silver Lake. Right. Or, or, you know, close, close thereof. Yeah. He's looking at the Under the Silver Lake zine. It opens to a page that says, Beware the dog killer with a hooded, shadowy figure holding a dead dog up on a spike. Mm-hmm. It says, Only I know the secrets of silver of this at Silver Lake. In time I will reveal the truth behind the mysterious crimes, murders, and disappearances within this cursed community. I will reveal all under the silver lake. It also says No one will ever be happy here till all the dogs are dead. Right. Okay. So why is somebody killing dogs? Don't know. In my mind, symbolically, it's the killing of God. Yeah. Yeah. That society has murdered God. But why in this story is someone out there killing gods? Is it the homeless guy? Is it the homeless king? Killing the dogs? I don't know. Well, he seems to be upset about about dogs. Right now, we're supposed to probably be thinking that Sam has been killing dogs. Right. But I, right. as this, I've watched this movie. I don't think he's killing dogs at right. all. Right. I kind of agree with you. I mean, there's also yeah. like a moment with him and Topher Grace are in a bar, and mm-hmm. Topher Grace says something about dog killers and. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew Garfield is like, there's more than one. And as soon as he yep. says that, someone opens a door in the background and this bright light comes in. Yep. And so yep. I, I, that seems to be saying something. There's something there. Yeah. Yep. definitely. Um, is the zine writer doing the dog killer graffiti? Oh, uh, maybe. Uh, he is kind of like a... Yeah, he's, he's like trying a, to get the word out. Yeah, exactly. He's he's like warning everybody. A Paul Revere type. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's making the zine, and and he's also super paranoid. Super paranoid that people are after him. So is he doing that as a way to warn the community? Yeah, maybe. I wonder. I can see that. It might be interesting to try to match the handwriting of the spray paint up to I his never codes. I never considered that. I never considered that's that. something for the future. It's hard to answer this dog killer question. I uh, and it's and it's like a pivotal mystery that is really hard to get. Cause I because I'm convinced that Sam is not the dog killer. Yeah. Um. But I do think it is again allusions to God being dead. Right. He goes to bribe the clerk to give him his phone number. He gives him this shitty crumpled up five dollar pill. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> The clerk doesn't want to do it, but then he decides he will give him the right, write, the zine writer Sam's phone number. Yeah, but, but he's he, like, but I don't need your $5. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that guy is an actual Employee. clerk at that store. He might be. Seems like he would be. Yeah. He has also on the desk next to the zine is issue 144 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Right, which he buys. Which which I guess he buys. I didn't make the connection for a long time that he also bought that comic book. What's he doing with that comic book? That comic book, I looked it up. Yeah. It has the it ends with Gwen Stacy returning, a clone of Gwen Stacy. Oh returning. wow. So it's a blonde that who's disappeared right. and has come back. Right. And there's a just a, a lot of Spider Man connections in this movie anyway. Definitely, but I think the the reason that he's using that specific issue is because that's the return of Gwen Stacy. Right. Who's a blonde who comes back into Peter Parker's life. And, you know, um, by this point, uh, Andrew Garfield, the actor, has already been Peter Parker. Right. So that's symbolic. And Topher Grace has been Venom. Has been Venom. (laughs) Right, which is awesome. I love it. Yeah. So... um, So, yeah, he buys that book. It's nighttime. There's a skunk in the bushes. Yeah. Skunks are getting closer. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we see a dog taking a shit. Yeah. And then a hand reaches in with a dog biscuit, and it's Sam. And he's feeding the dog a biscuit. Yeah. And the door opens, and the blonde comes out. Yeah. And she's in special movie lighting. Yeah, Classic old, old Yeah, with her, her eyes lit up with a mm-hmm. mirror. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. With yeah, I think you're right. Shatner lighting. Yeah, Shatner lighting. <laughs> it's real classic old-fashioned movie lighting. Yeah, I love it. And so I think you're supposed to be making that connection with yeah. old Hollywood. I feel like the way she's acting is very old Hollywood. Old too. Hollywood. I yeah. totally agree with you. Completely agree. She's innocent and lovely and charming. Yeah. Like everything about her is... Anomalous to everybody else. Yeah, she's so charming and cheerful and lovely. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like you're yeah. supposed to fall in love with her. Yeah. Um, she says, "Oh, there's old-fashioned movie music playing as well, and I wonder if it's it's some old film. It might be. Uh, oh, you mean just in the soundtrack? Yep. Yeah. Yeah." Yeah, I've wondered no. that too. I feel like there are all these old movie stings and I'm, I, I'm like, what are, the, are those from a specific movie or did they just write them to sound like? I bet they're from movies. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I did not do the research. I mean, I'm, that was one thing I'm like, I'm not going to be able to figure all this out. Yeah. But, um, And she's got the hat with the halo on. Yeah. So she's angelic. She tells him that the dog's name is Coca-Cola, d- yeah. dependable as sunshine. Okay, so there's this God connections right there, right, and she's filled with sunshine, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's wonderful um and she's still got her dog she says she says that his dog died recently, and I think this is really important because he's lost. she's got her dog, and she's happy, yeah, she's fulfilled, right, so I think she's has her purpose in life, right, and he does not. She invites him in for a drink. When they're in the apartment, the Jesus and the Brides of Dracula song is playing, Turning Teeth, is right. on. So again, with the song. She asks him, were you spying on me? He denies it. Oh, no, she says, I saw you spying on me. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. She says, were you masturbating? And he really denies it. Yeah. It's like, no, no. He's like, I was just looking. Yeah. And then she's like, you want to get stoned? yeah so then we fade to the movie they're watching it's three women it's um how to marry a millionaire lauren bacall i think it's betty grable who is it betty Betty davis no 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 not betty davis it might be betty grable okay. i can't remember who the betty is and marilyn monroe yeah they're what it's they're watching um i think it's called who wants to marry a millionaire how to marry a millionaire how to marry a millionaire thank you um there's also dolls of each one of those actresses on the side of the TV. Yeah, and they're labeled Betty, Marilyn, and Lauren. With codes and, below. And that. underneath they have, yeah, the Zodiac codes. What do those codes say? They say tombstone, sheriff, and entries. And That's what they say? Yeah. And if you type that into uh what three words, uh uh-huh. it takes you hold on. I I didn't. Oh, this is exciting. I did not know this. It's going to give me a second to find. Okay, so Tombstone Sheriff and Entries, in what three words? Takes you, places you in a grove of trees close to Mitchell Peak and Sphinx Crest, um, Colorado. And the Valley of Kings in a grove of scoria trees. Um, Valley Valley of Kings? Kings? Where's that? Here, hold on. Is that Colorado? Let me, I'll, I'm going to type it in. It's near Mount Whitney in Kings Canyon. It's between Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Park in the mountains. Uh, So it's in, in California. Oh, it's in California. Yeah. But the, okay. So what three words part of the logo is the three hash marks that you see later. That means like, this is a dangerous place. Right. That's the logo for what three words. Yeah. Hmm um um and then again a three reference obviously yeah and i was watching some video of some kid was trying to hike up to this point and he didn't get there so but they wanted to go there and dig in the ground at those coordinates (laughs) that's awesome yeah so you're saying it's in king's canyon it's near king's canyon Um, and there was a sphinx relation related thing to it as well hold on it's near sphinx crest and Barton mm. Pink. Peak. Barton Peak. Uh, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, there you have King and yeah. Sphinx, so you've got Egyptian symbolism right there. Yeah. um, That's fascinating. God, I wonder why the hell he put that in there. Right. I mean, it's a place to go. I mean, you know. Why? Like- who wow. knows if that's the three words you're supposed to look up? But those are the most random three words in the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. That it are seems so attached blank. to a code. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, this is this the three women and the millionaire, right? You know, like they're like posed, and these millionaires are kind of looking at them and acting sort of blasé about it. Lauren McCall says great big this is a great big room full of nothing but rich millionaires and us yeah um sarah's wearing a silver bracelet yeah it says sarah yeah that's all you get to see on it though right
1: yeah it probably has more
0: on it somewhere maybe i don't know well jefferson severance's sevens had more it says well his did yes but maybe hers is just that she belongs to him. Right. Um, she says it's from an old boyfriend. Right. Which is like leads him to think one thing, but actually means it's an older, an older man. Yeah. An older man. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That yeah. is a beautiful line. Yeah. Like that is a beautiful clue. Yeah. What is really her subtle? what is her tattoo? They talk about her temporary tattoo. Um, it looks like a cat on a surfboard that she got from a a pack of gum. And later on, when he goes through her box of stuff, there's fruit stripe gum or something like that. So I wonder if it, that's as far as I could tell, it looked like a cat on a surfboard. So I'm wondering if old fruit stripe gum used to have tattoos in him. I mean, I don't remember that, but, but maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, cause that's in her box. There's a pack of gum in her box. Right. Um, But that, I mean, I don't know if that means anything, but. But this is what I've realized, Andy, is that she's got her dog. Yeah. She's going to go and be buried underground with Jefferson Sevens and these two other women who are her roommates. Yeah. They're all clearly just like the other shooting stars girls. They're probably been running. They've been running in. Dark circles. Um, the circles with these super rich men. Yeah. Right. Who treat them like objects. Yeah. And um she's obsessed with this movie. Yeah. The poster is on her wall. She's got the dolls. Yeah. This is her, this is her heaven. Right. So she's about to, she's that's why she's got her dog. She's got her god. Yeah. Her god is. She's found her place in the universe, which is marrying a millionaire. Marrying a millionaire with these two other women and living out the movie. Right. How to marry a millionaire? Right. That's she's living out her fantasy. Right, and there's Coca-Cola <laughs> bottles, all uh, cans, all over her room oh, interesting. too. I did know. She also think. has like a weird breast light, like a bust light. Oh yeah, it's like a bustier kind of. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Um, but yeah, so I think that's why she's happy and angelic. Sure, she's found her destiny. Yeah, in fact, and all the women seem to be very happy about their destiny. <laughs> it's true uh, that who are who are being buried alive with the millionaires. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah they. Yeah, it's as if they found their religion. Right. Yeah, yeah. they are acting like people who have uh, who have already been con- had a religious convergence. Convert con- con- conversion. Conversion. Thank yes. you for the word. No problem. Um, let's see. What's up with did you try crackers and orange juice? You know, I feel like that maybe is something I've done somewhere in my life. Yeah. So she's eating the saltines and orange juice. She's giggling, it's adorable. Yeah. She says it's one of those undiscovered, unknown combinations that no one should die without trying. Andy, this is her last meal. Yeah, okay. Nice. Yeah, I agree. But she doesn't realize it is. No, she knows. She knows. She knows it's coming, but she I don't feel like she knows when she she knows. Okay. Okay. She knows already. Oh yeah. I think that's why she even invited him in. Right. Because she knows this isn't going further than tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow is is the day. uh, I mean is the day everything changes. She knows. Okay. I guess the pirate does show up with the other two women. Yeah, the pirate's there with the other women. Yeah. Uh, So they kiss. Yeah. So this is this beautiful moment for him. And later on, he reveals he just wants to feed a dog a biscuit and pet its nose. Yeah. Which is what he does with her dog. Right. And so I think that's why he becomes obsessed with her, because she allows him to fulfill... His dream. His destiny. Yeah. His... His... One, it seems to be his only actual desires for that to happen. Right. Uh And also you'll note that Ricky Lindholm, the, his other blonde girlfriend, does not have a dog. Right. So this woman is the version of her that he actually wants. Right. The one with the dog. Who he can give a biscuit to and pet its nose. So it's fulfillment she represents to him fulfillment and wholeness and God. Right. Um, They kiss immediately. Sarah, we're home. Her friends come and we brought somebody, they say. Right. Her demeanor changes. She tells him he has to go. Um, So she walks out of the room like she's in a trance. Yeah. Her friends are there. They're looking at clothes they just bought. They're very excited too. Very excited with the pirate. Yeah. And this is the first time we see the pirate. First time we see the pirate, there are prints on the wall behind Sam of symbols. One is a butterfly and one is a heart. Right. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Does that mean a change of heart? I don't know. Yeah. That sounds pretty reasonable. Hmm. I also figured out that the pirate sails on the the sea. That's why he's a pirate. What do you mean? Well, they're they're related to the water. Oh, okay. And the pirate sails on the sea. And the pirate... Also, there's a theory that... Um, partially my theory, but I think it's probably been talked about, that the skull and crossbones of the pirate is actual allu- allusion to the skull and bone society. Ah. And that pirates were actually wealthy people fucking with each other on the high seas. Right. Like governments sending out um, their uh, their uh, secret missions, essentially. They're like uh, what's it called? You know, when like a uh, an army sends out like a a secret mission to do oh, yeah. some yeah yeah some fuckery. Yeah, that's kind of what pirates are. So I think he's symbolically he works for the rich people, right? Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then you start hearing fireworks. Hmm, which mm-hmm. which is another morse code message you think so it is how do you know well i just watching it i was like oh is that then when i was thinking about codes i was like is that morse code i looked it up and uh people had already figured this out before i you know i thought about it but what is it it says i ascend now so why? Yep. Yeah. so that's him that's severance sevenths Telling them it's now. Now's the time. That's why she's staring so intense. Yeah, that's she's why she she she's comp- interpreting the code. Yeah, and she gets completely, you know, like she's behaving like she's into that's like him. She's hypnotized. And, but as soon as she reads the code, she doesn't even say anything to him. After she barely yeah. knows he's there. Yeah. Exactly. Wow, that's it's. it's I ascend now. Yeah. Oh my God, that's incredible! (laughs) Because there's ascension is all over again. Yeah, that's what these rich people think they're up to. Yeah, they're ascending. Yeah, and these girls think that they're uh, they're ascending with them. Right, and there is historically there's something that we can talk about. Maybe I won't get into that yet. Okay. Well, I mean, does this seem like this seems like it might be a good moment to stop for the evening? I don't know how you're feeling. Okay um if you're feeling like you want to stop like i'm fine with that yeah you know it's okay. it's yeah we're just getting going i know sorry man oh my god no this is great yeah, it seemed like, like a good moment to stop so does it are you i mean this is how i really want to go through this movie. yeah i'm totally fine with that okay great so uh to the listeners this uh podcast is obviously gonna get split up into several parts <laughs> I was thinking it would be two parts but the way it's going now it's, it's gonna, gonna be like long a series yeah uh because this is this movie is worth this I think uh, just from just by the brief the just two hour discussion that we just had yeah and um the way we're breaking this thing down it's so Every fucking moment yeah. of this movie is purposeful. And we are literally only mind. 15 minutes into the movie by this point. Right. But it it deserves this yeah. level of interpretation. Yeah. It deserves it. And I know there are people out there who have been interpreting the film and are especially into the codes, and ISN now is blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, but I think we are we are going to also. Uh, we're going to add to the scholarship of this movie with this conversation. I hope so. I think we are. I okay. think we are. Because I haven't gone insane into what everyone's written about it. But I don't think that anyone's broken it down on this level yet. Okay. So I'm really excited about what we're doing. Um, uh, uh, thank you, Andy, oh, yeah. for that being was. willing to go through this movie with me. Thank you, Phil. I'm sorry it took me... A few weeks to get back to this, so no problem. Okay, I'm so excited about this. I, you turned me onto this film, although we both kind of became aware of it simultaneously. Yeah. But you were, you were onto it first. Yeah, and I and, and I was like, you, I, I feel like I after watching it once, I was like, oh, Phil would love this movie. So, and you were absolutely right. This is a great work of art, and this is a great work of current art that is important. I think yeah to it needs to be understood now because it's relevant to our times now and what we're what our world is going through and it's fascinating that it came out shortly before all this craziness now yeah for sure so um so for the listeners stay tuned there's more to come thank you for listening to the post relevant movement um first episode of my podcast um yeah thanks thanks uh, for tuning in everyone yeah, you've been listening to Andy Rostino and uh, Phil myself, Ristino. Phil Rostino. And uh, stay tuned, more to come. And all the answers will be revealed under the Silver Lake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode one of the Post Relevant Podcast. I've been your host, Phil Rostino. I want to say a very special thank you to my brother, Andy Restaino, for his scintillating conversation. More to come on our breakdown and deciphering of Under the Silver Lake. I also want to say thank you to John Wrightan and Steve Donnelly, co-writers of the song Prague from the Globs. Especially thank you to Steve for sending me that old recording recently. I also want to say thank you to Alan Tobin, who is the co-writer-producer of the theme song for this podcast, The Post-Relevant Movement Song, (laughs) created by the band Agents of Venus. If you want to learn more about that album, look up Agents of Venus on Bandcamp. Or uh, I think you can find us on Spotify as well. You can find more information about me on my website, theseardreams.com. That's the word these, the word are, the word dreams.com. You can also find me at Phil Rostino on Facebook or Instagram. Feel free to drop me a line, let me know how you're enjoying the podcast and what you're thinking of under the Silver Lake. And please tune in next week for episode two of the post-relevant podcast.